0: You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CRA55 on your AM dial. Radical Philosophy is now on Twitter. You can find it by searching Rad Philosophy on Twitter and clicking follow to follow us and keep updated with the show. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil, and rational argument with words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolfe, and Hagengruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 855 on your AM dial.
1: And I'm Catherine Jenkins, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of Nottingham.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Karen Bell about a working class green movement. This is part one of a two-part interview. Welcome to the program. Thank you. now, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Right. Well, um, I'm myself from a working class background, although I am now an academic. um, And I've been an environmental activist really since about the 1980s when I accidentally did a course in environmentalism. I say accidentally, it's because it was the only one that fitted into my timetable. Um, And then when I realised the problems that we were facing, because we knew about climate change at the time, obviously I thought, well, you know, I need to be involved in this because this is like the challenge of our generation or my lifetime. So um, I've more or less try to be effective in environmentalism. So I've been involved in the environmental movement since then. So quite a few decades. Um, I trained, I did a lot of manual jobs when I after I left school at 15. um, And then I eventually went back, I went to university to train to be a youth and community worker because I thought I'm doing all this activity um, and I realised I could get paid for it so I went and uh, trained then when they used to have courses in youth and community work and they used to have paid community workers um, to do that and then I found myself working a lot of disadvantaged communities on working class estates where people were very often their problems were to do with the environment and so I was involved in different environmental projects and programmes with people on these estates. And um, and then uh, I decided to become an academic because I found, apart from the fact that our Prime Minister at the time, David Cameron, had decided that we didn't need professional community workers anymore because anyone could be a community worker and people should do it for nothing which if anyone's done it as a job knows that it. It, it's actually quite difficult and you need to have skills or you can really mess things up. So it was partly because the jobs were drying up a bit, but also because I felt like I wasn't really being that effective because I could do things on a local level, but really we need to change things at a higher level. Like nationally, we need to change policies and you know internationally we need to change the policy so um, I went and did a training at University of Bristol um, to become in social policy and um, they did give me a grant eventually because I was doing it part-time paying for it myself um, on the condition that I did um, uh, a master's and I had to write a thesis uh, so I thought I'd write up some of the environmental projects that were going on in the community that I actually live in so I was working and living in the same community developing a community market Um, but I was also going to a lot of um, uh, meetings about what should happen in our community to make life better for people and it was incredibly frustrating because the community wasn't being represented, it was just a lot of professionals there deciding what should happen to us. (laughs) And I was trying to tell them the point of view from having lived on the estate for a, a couple of decades, and not being listened to and everything. So I basically wrote that up as my master's dissertation. And along the line, I became interested in environmental justice as a topic, because in the UK we weren't really using that terminology at the time and it was coming from America like the, the working-class environmental movements in America were really the environmental justice movements which were very much based in black and minority ethnic communities and some poorer white communities so I discovered all this literature and I thought oh you know what's been happening to us is reflected in the United States and all over the world, in these different places where working class people are carrying environmental burdens, not being listened to by the policy makers and not supported by the environmental organisations, the mainstream ones. Um, And then that became my academic career really since then, although I do go off on detours of other things now and again, that's the core of it.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting so you see you have sort of answered this question I was going to ask you what was it that inspired you to study a working-class green environment but you've sort of partly
1: done that is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, Only the fact of maybe just saying a little bit more about how frustrating it was (laughs) because it was anger really that motivated me to write that dissertation and uh, because you know, I, I did for a while get involved in the Green Party. And, you know, I'd say to them things like, why don't you come and campaign on our estate? And they'd say, oh, that's too far away. <laughs> and I said, well, don't you think you're too far away for us then? You know, why should we come to you? Um, and uh, and then they um, there was one particular meeting where um, I was getting quite upset because um, if you want to get rid of your green waste like the waste from the garden and we live on an outer estate because in the 1950s in the UK they decided to put the working class people on these outer estates and that I mean the intention was very good it was about uh, these sort of green communities where everyone had a big garden and green spaces But they didn't put any jobs here. They didn't put any facilities. Everybody had to go somewhere else to get what they needed. They were miles away from the city centre and it became a little bit of a dumping ground. So it got associated with some problems. Um, Anyway, so uh, they had these, uh, these green waste collections, but you had to pay for it. So I was saying in the Green Party meeting, well, look, um we're having to pay for these green waste collections and people can't afford it so they're burning the rubbish through so all all through the summer you've got this big garden all this green waste and they're burning it and chucking on a few bits of plastic and cardboard and whatever else you know sometimes it can be toxic and you don't know if it's toxic or not but there's just bonfires all the time you know it's not good for our health maybe we should write a policy and pressurize city council to make the green waste collection free like the landfill correction collection is free and their answer the whole meeting of the green party for the city of bristol was these people need educating and i was like well then no it's not it's not about education it's about they can't afford it they haven't got (laughs) money and they absolutely couldn't understand that somebody could have limited choices because they couldn't didn 't have the money because that had apparently never been a problem in their life <laughs> and i I was stunned that people could even live like that you know um, and I was very angry because they wouldn't listen, and it didn't matter how I said it they wouldn't listen, they wanted to put all the blame back on the community and said there was something wrong with us, and you know they wouldn't try and change the policy um, and and I thought. You know, there's not many people from my background that will come to your meetings anyway. Please listen to me when I come. It's pretty basic. So it was that very strong anger. Um, and then when I started to write about it more recently for the book, my book published this year, although some people say it was last year, it was around Christmas working class environmentalism you know I started to think of it more in terms of the framework of actually working class people have their own environmental movement which doesn't really get recognized
0: yeah so that's, I was gonna say, that's a really middle class attitude isn't it not to understand yeah. that people can't pay extra money for a green bin yeah it is yeah it's made um, about it because here in Melbourne uh, I actually pay it, well I think it's a fairly low fee but I do have to pay for for my bin every year but I don't have to pay for the one that's the landfill or the recycling either
1: well, yeah so it's it's just it's the same here the landfill's free and the plastic recycling and that is free but something that's completely harmless which is the green waste you know you you have to pay for that like it's some kind of luxury um anyway uh it still hasn't changed and people still burn their rubbish um that 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 was at least five years ago when i was in that argument maybe 10 (laughs) it's quite a while back uh yeah maybe five eight years ago and it still hasn't changed and there's no signs of it changing um so yeah i i um i saw that the environmental justice movement was an environmental movement that pretty much got overlooked by the mainstream environmentalism certainly in this country they were not having anything to say about it really friends of the earth did make a bit of an effort in the nineteen eighties. Um, they came up with a few research projects looking at environmental disparities between where the polluting factories were and the, you know, the incomes of the communities, which was really really helpful um, because then we could see this pattern of, you know, the working class communities having to live with the polluting factories. But in the United States they were doing way more than that and a lot of the research was being done by the working class people or them working with academics. Um, So I saw that we had that. We also had the whole history of the health and safety movement in this country which is largely working class and they've been absolutely phenomenal in um, increasing people's understanding of environmental impacts on health. All the work on asbestos, also happened in the united states and australia and some other countries um, about the gold mining um you know various other kind of mining uh impacts on the workers and the surrounding communities that was all working class people via the health and safety movement that were making known those problems but that wasn't even particularly being seen as environmentalism it's just oh that's health that's community it's not environment so I was thinking to myself well how can they expect us to get on board with these other environmental issues like climate change when they're not seeing the immediate the environmental issues that we've been working on as working class people as part of the whole package of environmentalism it's it's already putting up a division there and a barrier that people are going to have to cross. So I thought the more we could get them to recognise working class environmentalism, the more that, um, you know, working class people will get on board with the climate change struggles, which they hadn't particularly strongly until very recently. In fact, even now, The attitude is there. There's a lot of support, but they're not joining um, these organisations that focus strongly on climate change. So um, how are working class people
0: disproportionately carrying environmental burdens?
1: Yeah, so, um, well, I've mentioned a few already with... um, you know, the polluting factories. So if a polluting factory has got to go somewhere, chances are it's going to go in a working class area. Um, And if there's a sort of racial hierarchy in the country, it will go in the black and minority ethnic community. They get landed with the pollution. So it's carrying the burden because we use the products that are made that cause that pollution. Say like the Teflon coating on the on the saucepans, for example, I feel so strongly about this because it's the workers in those factories that are, their cancer rates are through the roof, you know, and people are happily using these nonstick frying pans, not realizing that it's the cost of poor people um, when there's perfectly good alternatives. You know, an iron frying pan will eventually get a coating on it. You don't actually need Teflon and these um, Uh, chemical type coatings Um, so you know there's a big awareness issue there so there's things about where the polluting factories go the air quality in general because um, you know they'll put the motorways the big roads through the working class areas Um, there's more a risk of traffic accidents because of these big roads being in those areas Uh, the waste contamination the landfill sites I mean, it's a bit complex, but on the whole, they tend to go in the poorer areas. Um, The kind of general neighborhood blight, like, you know, if I showed you some of the photos from this area, it is shocking. Um, And, you know, like the pubs and things, they literally leave them after they've closed for 10, 15 years where they just fall apart before our very eyes and it's all rubbish gets dumped there old mattresses the building gets set alight you know there's wire there's this there's that it's just a, it's a death trap for anyone who got in there you know uh, so that kind of stuff which if it was in a wealthier area they wouldn't let that happen they'd get it fixed or sorted out you've got food poverty which i include as an environmental problem because food is an environmental issue fuel poverty which is an environmental problem people not being able to keep themselves warm in the winter so every year in this country even though we don't have the coldest winters in the world we have thirty thousand people on average die of cold because they can't keep their house warm you know so that's a, a class issue um we we have the kind of chemical toxicity because you know, wealthier people can afford the organic products. They can afford to move away from chemical issues. You know, they can afford the organic food, organic body products, that kind of thing. Uh, what else? The flooding, because um, it tends to be poorer people that live on the floodplains because the houses are cheaper. Although there is a bit of a trend for middle-class people to live by rivers and with scenic views and stuff, but. Even in spite of that, it's still mostly the poorer people that live in, on the floodplains. Um, if there's any kind of disaster, it's usually the poorer people that have the trouble um, uh, escaping or putting their life back together after, like we saw with Hurricane Katrina in the United States, and certainly globally, the poorer countries suffer more. Um, so that's Issues there where working class people carry the environmental burdens. Could you explain about the difference between eco
0: socialism and eco feminism?
1: Okay, well, um, eco feminism is about seeing the exploitation of the environment in the same way that you see the exploitation and destruction of uh, uh, women so it's kind of looking at that as a sort of parallel comparison of um, harm between the environment and women so mostly laying the problem at the door of patriarchy Um, so patriarchy has a sort of violent tendencies and um these hierarchical tendencies are kind of way of seeing things in sort of dualistic terms so it's like nature humanity man woman this is all coming from um patriarchy so that so ecofeminism is very much focused on the problem as being patriarchy although there are different you know you could have a socialist ecofeminist for example. Um, so there's different strands of it. Um, but uh, whereas um, um, eco-socialism is more about seeing the destruction as coming from capitalism and that capitalism is a source of the problem and locating the hierarchy more in terms of class. Um, but it's class, slightly a in different way to help I'm using it a lot of the time because it's about class in terms of ownership of the means of production, you know, coming from Marxism. So you either own and control the means of production or you're exploited in that process. And there's a sort of contradictory type of relationship there. Um, I mean, uh, some Marxists look at this all more intersectionally and say... It's not just about class you've also got to think about gender and all the other issues race etc I mean both have been critiqued by uh, some black minority ethnic groups and um, other other sort of equalities groups for not taking account these other issues and making it too uh, focused on a particular issue So they're saying they need to be more intersectional. And to an extent, they have taken that on board. But the way when I write about working class environmentalism, I'm not writing particularly in that Marxist sense, although I do sometimes consider myself a Marxist. (laughs) Um, I'm a bit sort of pragmatic, but um, because Marxism is so would include a lot of people that work for a living as being working class so it would include doctors lawyers mps and i don't consider them working class because of the sort of cultural background um because i do believe our life chances are still very much set by what our parents do and although you can overcome it if that's the right word you can end up with a different outcome um, it's very unlikely that you will statistically and so you've got all these barriers there Um, and that's what i'm interested in with the working class environmentalism it's more to do with because probably most of the people in that green party meeting that i talked about were actually working class in a marxist sense you know um in terms of their relationship to the means of production but not in the sense that i'm thinking about it because they hadn't come from a background where poverty was an everyday occurrence and you really had to think about um if you really needed to spend your money on a certain thing um so you know to me that that's important so that's using the the philosophy of bordeaux more about looking at um the cultural aspects of class so I've certainly got I've gone off a bit of a tangent there but but basically that that is the difference between the eco-socialism and eco-feminism as I understand it.
0: Could you explain the three proposed main themes dominating contemporary environmentalism?
1: Okay, so I'm not I'm not not sure entirely what you mean by that, but um, I've written about um, Jean Martinez Alier from uh, Spain, who talked about these three different types of environmentalism. So he was talking about the cult of the wilderness. So basically, that kind of environmentalism that is all about, um, you know, we need to have places that are untouched by human hand or mind or whatever and then he also talked about um a sort of gospel gospel of eco efficiency which is you know sustainable development slots into that to a certain extent it's like how can we get more with the resources that we have without having to change too much of what we do so um ecological modernization those kind of Philosophy is how we can just use technology to keep our lifestyles, but have things greener so that 's another strand that he sees, and then what he calls the environmentalism of the poor. Um, so what he's basically saying is uh, at least if you look globally, um, most poor people are very much connected to the environment because they have to deal with environmental devastation. Like I've just said, they're carrying the environmental burdens, but also, you know, they're trying to eke out a living, sometimes using their resources in a more immediate manner than some middle class or wealthier countries or people. We're quite often a bit more removed from it. So he's he's seen those three strands. So if if that's what you mean, then, you know, you, you could look at it in those terms.
0: Thanks very much for coming onto the program today.
1: Thank you very much for listening and for giving me a space to talk about these things.
0: And I've been speaking with Dr. Karen Bell about a working-class green movement. Hope you've enjoyed the program and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway. This is part one of a two-part interview. (laughs)